Welcome to News Underground. My name is Lucy. I'll be your host for this evening. Uh, we're going to have a really great show tonight. We've got two segments. The first one's going to talk about the opioid crisis in the state, in the city of Boulder, in Boulder County, and uh, generally across the nation. Um, as we've been seeing a lot of that in the news recently, Opioid Awareness Day was just a couple weeks ago, um, and it is definitely not uh, not just affecting one set of people. And then later, we'll be hearing from the Bee Club on campus. Uh, yes, folks, as in bees, honeybees, bumblebees, all that stuff. Um, but now we're going to jump kind of right into it. Uh, I have with me Jeremiah Lindemann. He's a personal advocate and a fellowship uh, recipient with New America, focusing on opioid mapping, and Jamie Feld. She is an epidemiologist with Boulder County Public Health. Thank you both for being here with me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's just kind of start off with the basics. What's the state of the opioid crisis? Um, and we'll start kind of nationally and then narrow in to Colorado and Boulder County. Uh, yeah, this is Jeremiah. Um, I guess the state is um, not good. Uh, I know the CDC just released their numbers a, a few weeks ago for what happened in 2017. And unfortunately, deaths were going up nationally. Um, I think at the same time, there's positives to be gleaned. I think there's uh, individual communities are maybe seeing some more impact with what they're doing. Uh, I think there's just a lot more air awareness, and that's really key to you know combating it in general, is just recognizing what the problem is and that there is a problem. And, and that seems to be happening much more, as opposed to what, ha what was happening a few years ago when you know there really was a problem, but it really was mask. Yes, and as Jeremiah mentioned, we know that this is an issue nationally, but also in Colorado and here in Boulder County as well. More people are dying from overdose than car accidents in Boulder County since 2005. And on average, more than 30 people die of an opioid-related accidental overdose each year in Boulder County. Last year, from all drugs in, in Boulder County, we had more than 50 people die from a drug overdose. So we know that this is an issue that's happening not only at the national level and the state level, but also here locally that we can address. So before we kind of dive into more about what we can do about it, like where it's hitting and stuff, how do we talk about the opioid crisis? Is it a disease? Is it a social issue? Is it something else entirely? Uh, kind of what perspective are we going into this conversation with, um, especially from kind of the public health and the advocate standpoints? Um, yeah, it's I think it's both a disease and, and a social issue. It's it's kind of complicated to put it uh, put your finger on it. But it, I think the most important thing is to recognize that it is a disease that can impact anyone, and there should be no stigma around it because it affects any gender, race, age, uh, economic status uh, for for people all across the country. I do work for Boulder County Public Health, so. I will say it is a public health crisis, but not just because of that. Um, really, we know that this is one of the leading causes of death and uh, morbidity and mortality in our community. And so the way we can address is it, it by working at it from multiple factors. That is from working with our law enforcement, working with treatment, working with people that are affected in recovery or currently using, as well as working with people that are 
um, receiving medications from their from their doctors. Really, we have to look at it from a multifaceted approach, where there's not just one area we can address it from. We have to look at it from many angles. Right. Well, and on that note, um, it was just uh, released that the Colorado Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman is suing Purdue Pharma um, for forget if it's neglect or overprescription, something along those lines. Um, so I guess two, uh, two parts of this question. One, what is the real source that we're finding for a lot of the crisis? Um, where do people start these addictions? Um, and two, is the suit going to help that at all? We know that in past years, nearly 250 million prescriptions were written for opioids. That's enough for every adult in the U.S. to have a bottle of pills. And four out of 10 Colorado adults say they've misused prescription medicine. Um, that includes pain medication like Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin. But then there's also stimulants like Adderall and Ritalin that we're not talking as much about. And anti-anxiety medications like Valium, Librium, and Xanax that can be misused that are benzodiazepines. Um, so we know that addressing this from the prescription drugs um, as a, as, is a way to, to combat the issue. Um, we in Boulder County have worked with the Attorney General's office to secure naloxone kits for law enforcement. So we were able to get 375 naloxone kits. That's an antidote for opioid overdose. And train all eight law enforcement in Boulder County on how to respond to an overdose. So I do think that that could impact um, having a benefit in our community. And for listeners to be clear, um, we've heard both naloxone and Narcan used as terms. Are they the same thing or are they different things? So Narcan is the brand name, so it's most commonly known, but naloxone is the generic name. And it is an opioid overdose reversal medication. It's now actually available over the counter at pharmacies in Boulder County. So you don't need a prescription in order to get it. And what it does is it takes the opioid off the brain receptor. It can be a very effective tool if someone is in, the, um, in a room where they have seen someone that's overdosing. It's easy to administer, and it's covered by many insurances, including Medicaid. Interesting. And so we're seeing what populations hit here. Um, there's often kind of been a stigma in past public health issues of the specific populations that have hit, and also the reality of a lot of past public health issues that uh, it often hits lower socioeconomic um, groups disproportionately. Is that the case here, or what's going on? What we actually see from the statistics is that it really is affecting all different age ranges and um, socioeconomic backgrounds. I'm looking right now at our data in Boulder County for um, socioeconomic backgrounds, and it really is. You know, it's not just people that are in poverty or people that you might think you're seeing um, on the street or that you say, oh, they might have a problem. You know, we really try to get past stigma in this issue and see it that it's going to be someone that could be next to you. It could be a friend, a family member, a coworker, um, really people of all genders, ages, racial backgrounds, and socioeconomic. And Jeremiah, this hit you way too close to home. Correct. Uh, so I'm here because I, I lost my little brother. Uh, my little brother uh, passed away 10 years ago, um, actually almost 11. Uh, at the time, I had no idea what it was. Uh, JT was you know, my best friend. Uh, he was my best man at my wedding. We were pretty aware of his struggles, and he was open uh, about it when he went to treatment. 
and he talked about Oxycontin. You, you talked about Purdue Pharma, and they are the makers of Oxycontin. And he, he talked about how he was hooked on that. And I, I had no idea. I'd never even heard the term Oxycontin at the time. And he talked about how you know it was just so readily available, and that you know, he got it from first discovered it at getting his wisdom teeth pulled. But he, was, he had a really charming personality, and go into any doctor's office, and you know pretty much get it uh, really readily. And that led to other things. Um, but yeah, I, it, was, it was really confusing at the time. Um, I was really quiet, as you can imagine. It's not easy to talk about you know, losing someone to you know, drugs. And after seeing it more and more in the news about it, uh, I realized that I could probably be more of an impact and be more of a voice. And that there is a huge stigma. It's one of the reasons I was quiet. It's the reason why my brother and several others are probably a little bit more you know, resistant to just get treatment and, and seek help uh, about it. Uh, so I became an advocate and just trying to trying to help create awareness. So you started this website, Lost Loved Ones, um, and it's it's a very very powerful uh, experience to go on. Um, people essentially open source uh, put in those that they have uh, lost to the crisis. Yeah, it's a, it's a crowdsourced website. Uh, it's called Lost. Uh, you can go to lostlovedones.nsc.org. The National Safety Council has now adopted it and hosted it. But the idea is to create awareness and break stigma. So families who have lost someone can go in and they can add their loved one. They upload a photo and a bio, you know, a paragraph or two about what made the person special and, and, and their story. And to date, I think there's almost 1,700 people. It's, uh, it, it's pretty emotional to look at, and it can, it's really gut-wrenching seeing so many people that have been lost. And you know, behind that, there's lots of love and lots of you know, families that have been impacted losing their loved ones. So uh, I, I think that has, uh, it's been a tool to help families grieve, but also you know, generate uh, awareness and, and you know, help break that stigma that's uh, needed. And the folks that are on there, you often wouldn't expect people young, old, um, different backgrounds and cultures, and it really is something that is um, that is impacting all over. And Lost Loved Ones is a national campaign, to be clear, not just for Colorado or Boulder, but it, it's pretty indicative of... Correct. It, it started here in Colorado. It's where I am. I met some other families that, um, you know... Uh, have also lost loved ones. That's actually where the, the term came from. The second person on the map, uh, JP, his mom said, we need some way to celebrate the people we love. So that's kind of how the title stuck. Uh, but yeah, it really grew nationally. Um, I, I think the map is maybe a little bit more, you know, focused on loved ones that there's been a, that are maybe of a younger age because there's been Facebook of grieving parents and, you know, those type of groups have shared the map. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of young people. There are different demographics, and it really is everywhere. And I think that's one of the powers of the map is people pay attention to two things, uh, human stories, uh, but they also pay attention when things are near them and are in their backyard. And with 1,700 people, there's, you know, every corner is pretty much of the countries represented on the map. Right, and Boulder, of course, is no exception to that. Um, and Boulder has been kind of grappling with their housing crisis and a lot of homelessness um, and often homelessness and mental illness play together. So how does the opioid crisis kind of factor all into this mix? Because unlike many folks who may have um, resources, even if they end up um, do they do end up um, passing away, 
a lot of there may be homeless folk that are um, dealing with this as well. What's what's that looking like from your end, Jamie? Sure. So I think it's very important that we know that it's not just happening in isolation for the opioid crisis. There are other factors that are happening nationally and locally, such as access to mental health care, access to housing, access to livable wages. So there are a lot of different factors, and the opioid crisis is not happening in isolation. We know that many people that go to um, the emergency room or or are hospitalized do often present with both mental health and substance use background. And so we know that, you know, it is possible that people that have lost housing might be more vulnerable to um, having struggles. However, based off our data, we do not see that there's a higher increase for people that are homeless being at risk for overdose. Um, Again, we see it of all backgrounds from socioeconomic backgrounds. And many people, since they do get started with prescription drugs, that that if they are having trouble accessing health care, then they might not have access to prescription drugs as well. We do have a syringe access program at Boulder County Public Health, um, and that is a place where people can get access to syringes as well as other supplies to prevent them from getting HIV or hepatitis C. Um, and that is one area that people can, um, if they are at higher risk, uh, gather resources. Yeah. and. Some similar to that, but kind of a step up is the um, supervised injection sites um, that have been cleared in Vancouver. Um, there have been attempts to clear them in California and other f- places around the country. Um, is Boulder currently looking in, at doing some of those? Policy is a very important area for everyone to get involved in. Um, last year, there were several bills that passed through an interim study committee. So people can get involved by contacting their legislators and talking about what are the areas that they are interested in. Supervised injection sites was one of the ones that was proposed last year and potentially could be one again. So if people are interested and want to support it, then they can contact their legislator and actually get involved. And have we found those to be effective in other places that they've been used? Uh, what, like, what's the impact of the supervised injection site really? I can't speak to that. I know that uh, I'm pretty sure there are some studies that were implemented. They are successful. Um, so I, I don't have the numbers or you know backing about what is successful. But I, I think it's kind of hard to argue to providing help to someone and keeping someone living. Um, I think that's really kind of the, the key point of that. I think people really get up in arms about you know we, they don't want to supervise in section er, spot in some area, but the reality is there's a lot of people that could use it. And if it's being looked at, it's being looked at to help the community. Is there any um, way for someone to maintain, this is going to sound very odd, but maintain an addiction in a way that keeps them alive? Because a lot of the times, um, especially with opioid addictions, it can progress very, very quickly. Um, but with such supervised injection sites, um, would it be possible for someone to maybe still be addicted but just maintain it for a very long time? In our syringe access program, there are many people that have had um, have been using the services for many years, and it is possible to manage your use without it being problematic um, to the point of where they are at risk for overdose or HIV or hepatitis C. So that is one goal of that program is a harm reduction method. 
you, know, you can do that with syringe access. Um, supervised use also is a harm reduction. But then there's other things that people can do that's harm reduction, such as um, being aware of how they use substances. So if you are using alcohol with pills, for example, then you're going to be putting yourself at risk. So a, way, a harm reduction method could be to make sure that you're not doing multiple substances at a time, whether that's opioids and benzodiazepines, which is going to put you at higher risk, alcohol and opioids. What we're seeing from the data is that actually a lot of times people have multiple substances in their system at a time. And so that's one harm reduction method that people can take um, in their homes right now. Just to add to that a little bit, there's a lot of talk about medical uh, assisted treatment, and I think there's a stigma around that too. And personally, I, I probably had that stigma. You know, I, if I go rewind the clock 10 years ago, I, I think I probably would have been against it, just because you know, I would have wanted my brother to be fully clean and, and you know back to living normal. But you know, learning much more about it and learning what success is really like and for people, um, I think you just have to you know, trust the science and you know read what is working for people. That's what's great to see is that there are now so many strategies out there. Harm reduction is one of them, but then we know that things like safe disposal, primary prevention, um, this work around that, that uh, Jeremiah mentioned about medication-assisted treatment, um, also things that our law enforcement are doing around connecting people to treatment instead of sending them to jail if someone has an issue. and work that we're doing with our providers to decrease the prescriptions that are happening in the first place. So there's so many strategies that are happening, which is encouraging, but there's still so much to do. Right, and I mean, it is World Suicide Prevention Day today, um, and it's hard because sometimes these overdoses that, and to be clear, overdose does not always equal death, um, but sometimes overdoses uh, that may have been intended as suicide are not classified that way, um, which, how does that complicate situations? Because it, it can't be that easy. Yeah, you know, so speaking about the lost loved ones map, with there's so many people that have um, been added, and I've had so many parents reach out to uh, on you know Facebook and talk a little bit more about their story. And a lot, there's been a lot of contributions of, you know, people that were, um, I guess the official autopsy report came back as suicide. And, but the parents would say, you know, I've had so many conversations with my son or daughter, and they said, you know, I, I'd rather die than, you know, be hooked on these pills still. So th there is a definitely correlation, uh, and, and vice versa. You know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, cases where it was probably labeled, you know, uh, suicide where it was an overdose. It, it's, it's a hard thing to really, really label, you know, and I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why there's been such such a tough time in getting you know true numbers behind all the, the overdose deaths right yeah it, it adds a new um, a new sort of dimension to the whole situation um, what is what is kind of Boulder specifically in Boulder County doing to address the crisis then in Boulder County we have something called the opioid advisory group which is a group of partners from treatment recovery so that's you know, after someone has gone through a treatment, you need recovery, just like you might need um, rehabilitation after you've had an injury. So we have recovery partners, we have prevention partners, um, people from, like I mentioned, law enforcement and criminal justice that are trying to look at it more from a public health perspective. 
Um, and then we also have harm reduction and we have people that are directly affected. So community members that are either in recovery or have lost loved ones to overdose, um, such as Jeremiah who has contributed and um, many, community, many community members that are trying to drive this change in policy. We have been able to have 12 safe disposal sites in Boulder County. So those are places that people can drop off medication once they've used it. They can go to bouldercountymeddisposal.org and find out where the closest one is near them. Um, we've also shown where all the places in Boulder County are that have Narcan, so bouldercountynarcan.org. Um, we're working with our providers to figure out ways to decrease prescribing and then also link people to medication assisted treatment. Um, and we're working to get these voices out that are it's so urgent to have the voice of people that are directly affected in this crisis because as we go to legislators and we can say what works we need to have the voice of people that have actually been affected yeah and it's more than just the policy of course uh, there is still very much the social stigma how do we get over that I think just constantly talking about it I, I think um, you know, it's, it's people that have been impacted, sharing stories. It's people that are in recovery, sharing their stories of success. Of success. And I, I think it's really going to be a community approach. Um, you know, I created the Lost Loved Ones map, but another big project I've been having is you know, working with communities across the nation that are doing you know, mapping and understanding their community. And I think it's groups like this opioid advisory group that's great in Boulder. I got to attend one of the meetings, and, and it's the great turnout they have. And I think that community approach of really getting together to hit on all the pieces that Jamie talked about and just you have to keep on with the message so people understand uh, is, is really critical in all of this. Yeah, we found that you know, yeah, having that community approach is one strategy. There's efforts going on here at Boulder County. Then there's also the state with the Colorado Consortium. Um, and we always want people to get involved. So if you're listening to this and thinking, I want to learn out more, you can go to opioidadvisorygroup.org and contact us and get involved with other people to learn what you can do. This isn't going to be an easy solution, and we know there's a lot more that has to be done. Um, and we know, too, that it's not just opioids. You know, we're seeing benzodiazepines, methamphetamines coming up in the, in the numbers of overdose death rates, emergency room visits. So we have to get ahead of the issue before we're really affected on it locally. Right. Jeremiah and Jamie, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having us and helping get the word out. Thank you so much, Lucy. Jeremiah Lindemann is a personal advocate and a fellow with New America focusing on uh, opioid mapping. And Jamie Feld is an epidemiologist with Boulder County Public Health. Uh, we did mention that today is World Suicide Prevention Day. Uh, if you or someone you know is struggling, uh, please don't hesitate to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Um, there's also Colorado Crisis Services, 1-844-493-8255. And if you're a student here on campus, uh, whether you're an undergraduate or a graduate, um, you have the CU Collegiate Recovery Center. It's in the first floor here at the UMC. They have uh, support groups for all sorts of recovery, including uh, opioid addiction. Um, so there are certainly those resources for you. Hang tight. We're going to listen to Boring Angel by Oniotrix Point Never, and I'll be back 
in just a second with the Bee Club. You're listening to News Underground on Radio 1190.
You're listening to News Underground on Radio 1190, 1190 AM, KVCU Boulder, Denver, 98.9 FM, Translator, K255DA Boulder, but you know that, don't you? My name is Lucy, uh, and I am here with the B Club. Uh, It is Travis and Joshua, Joshua, uh, and we're just going to talk about bees for a little bit. Um, it was great to talk with Jeremiah and Jamie about the opioid crisis. Um, there's a lot going on there, and I encourage you to check out some of those resources to learn more about some of the statistics, but I uh, figured we'd end on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, so, yeah, let's kind of jump right into it. Bees, guys. That's why, right. Why bees? <laughs> why bees? That's a great question. Um you know, I've always noticed that people really, really love bees. And it's not something like an animal that you'd think that people would love automatically. Like, usually you think of, like, dogs or cats. Um, but people do just love bees. They're kind of cute. You know, they fly around. We love honey. Um, I've met people with bee tattoos, and people love being beekeepers. And not just that, but bees are so important to our lifestyle. Um, there's a statistic out there that one-third of every bite that you take is um, – due to the bees, basically. It's food that they pollinated. Um, so bees are just super important to our lifestyles and how we live. And then, Josh, I know you had a couple great facts, too, about bees, right, that you had just seen? Yeah, so um, I think one of the facts that we kind of read up on kind of leading up into here is that bees tend to, uh, you know, we kind of focus a lot more on, like, how bees usually affect humans, but um, it looks like you know, bees actually have a much greater impact on kind of like the environment as a whole with other animals and a lot of floral uh, kind of areas. So I think it was one fact that we found was like one hive of bees can pollinate as as many as 300 or yeah, 330 million flowers or so in a single day. Whoa. Yeah. And so essentially bees are just kind of, the way you think of it is they are like a, um, like a key kind of species to the environment. So without them, kind of the whole environment kind of collapses. Um, so they're just, they might be small, but they're mighty. That's for sure. Yeah, mighty sting, but mighty power to, to make some changes too. Um, and I mean, we've seen there's a decline in bees with climate change um, on a few different factors. Um, what, what are we seeing there? What's going on? Yeah, so you're right that there's a few different factors and actually, Climate change isn't really what, what's causing it. Um, so one of the things that you might hear about is the varroa mites. Uh, and the, so these are just kind of like little parasites that will like suck the blood of the bees. Um, but the really big one right now would actually be colony collapse disorder. And that's something that we're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on is we just kind of noticed it, I believe starting around like 2006, 2007, um, some beekeepers started noticing that over winter their, cla- their colony would just completely be gone. Um, when they came back to check on it in the spring. Um, And that's been continuing. Um, It's been increasing. Um, And so we're we're still trying to figure out what exactly is causing colony collapse disorder, and that's why you see a lot of honeybee populations declining. Um, But it's not just honeybees. Uh, So native bees, too, are experiencing a loss in um, their populations as well. Uh, A lot of that is just due to, you know, urbanization. Um, There aren't many areas that the bees can kind of land to get food. And at that same time, um, as humans, we, we love having, you know, pretty yards with grass and making, like, parking lots where we can park. That's important. Um, but that kind of takes up the area where those native bees live, too. So they're losing their um, their homes, basically. 
And so with all of this going around with bees, what's your kind of goal and purpose for the bee club? Uh, I first spotted you guys at the Bee Involved Fair uh, and wearing this uh, funky bee suit thing. And uh, it's just it's very intriguing. It really is really intriguing. That was our uh, our, our other founder, Will. He was wearing the bee suit. Um, he looked great in it, really liked it. Um, but the purpose of the bee club is, we kind of talked about earlier, is that students are really, really interested in bees. There's students with bee tattoos, you know, bee handbags. Um, and also college students just, they want to get involved in some way to kind of help make an impact. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to give them opportunities to learn about the bees. Um, to volunteer um, in events kind of that support organizations in Boulder that support bees, um, kind of field trips to like local meteries, to the Butterfly Pavilion, to a local honey company, the Savannah Bee Company, um, just so they can kind of learn more about why bees are so important and kind of how they can help more. That's pretty neat. And so is there anything specifically going on in the Boulder area? with bees that maybe prompted you to this? I know there's like, there's always the farmer's markets, uh, honey, and um, it is somewhat talked about in our region, probably more than others. Yeah, Boulder does a great job of being very aware of the environment. And so for that reason, it is kind of a hub um, for these environmental movements. There's a couple organizations here um, that are really, really great. So um, the Boulder Pollinator Garden Project right now is helping people kind of make pollinator friendly gardens, um, taking native plants um, that are really easy to take care of. You don't need to water them much. Um, you know, they do well in Colorado's environment. You can put those in your yard um, and you'll have just a ton of pollinators. So not, not just bees, but also hummingbirds and butterflies will come too. Um, and then the People in Pollinator Action Network is another great network that we're supporting. Uh, they're a lot more focused on kind of um, stopping the use of pesticides um, and a lot of plants and seeds. Uh, so the idea there is actually um, there's this pesticide called neonicotinoids um, that are used to treat a lot of seeds. And those have a very harmful effect on bees. Uh, and if you get your plants from a lot of like local nurseries, um, like areas like Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, usually their seeds have been treated with neonicotinoids, um, which actually end up harming the bees and potentially killing them. Um, so they're kind of bringing awareness to that. And then Boulder also loves to have fun with its um, environmental support too. And so actually all of the month of September, is Boulder Pollinator Month. Um, so just yesterday was the Tour to Hive, which was kind of a, uh, a self-guided tour of um, some local beekeepers, hives, um, a, a pollinator-friendly parking lot. Um, the library actually has beehives that you could go and see. And then there's lots more fun events too. So there's gonna be a speaker at the Natural History Museum. Um, there's gonna be an entire festival on September 29th celebrating bees. So you'll have Companies like um, Justin's Almond Butter will be out there, too, giving away free samples, which that's some tasty stuff. So if you're not even in it for the bees, be in it for the almond butter and show up for that. So you guys have had your first meeting. Uh, how's it going with the club? How, how's your uh, your attendance? What have you guys been doing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, Josh, the, the energy was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, we received probably closer to 70 uh, interested students for our very first meeting here at the university. Um, everyone was very engaged. A lot of questions were asked um, to us and our speaker who came and visited us as well. Um, yeah, it's I mean, a very, 
very excited to kind of see what happens uh, from here on out. Yeah, the meeting was great, um, way exceeded our expectations, and we've actually already been volunteering at a couple events too. Um, so we had some volunteers go out for the tour to Hive yesterday and help out with that. Uh, we have some volunteers at the farmer's market this Wednesday. They're going to be helping out. Um, we have an event this Friday, too. We're doing a pollinator-friendly planting at the Rayback Collective on Sunday the 23rd. Uh, and then another volunteering event uh, on the 29th at the Bee Boulder Festival. So, yeah, students are just so excited to get involved. Um, there's a ton of energy um, buzzing around. Ex excuse the pun. Had to fit it in there. Um, but I think things are going really well with the club, and we're just excited to see how it propels from here. Yeah, so what do you what are you guys looking forward to in the long run of the club? So the long run, yeah, we have a couple goals for sure. One of our goals has always been to kind of find some way that we could manage our own hive. Um, unfortunately, that's actually not possible on CU's campus, um, and, and for good reason. CU actually has their own beehives, um, but the location is kind of um, disclosed. Um, it's not given in sh or shared with students because they don't want someone to mess with the beehives. Um, but we can't put our own hives on campus, but we'd love to kind of partner up with someone else and see if there's some way that we could um, manage a hive elsewhere. We also want to teach the interested students um, about how they can get um, involved in beekeeping because that's something that a lot of students want to do. So there's some beekeeping classes actually this spring for free for students that we want to help out with. And then hopefully as we go down the line, um, we're going to get more and more involved with more beekeeping classes. And one of the, the longer term goals would actually be to become certified as a bee-friendly campus. Um, so there's currently 48 of those right now. You kind of make a strict set of guidelines regarding the type of plants you have, uh, making sure you don't use any pesticides on campus, things like that. Um, there's only 47. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you take a guess, Lucy. There's one in Colorado. And can you guess who that is? I don't know. Who is it? CSU, CSU, the Rams, oh. yep, exactly. The, the Rams right. are beating us there. All right. So ideally, a little bit further down the line, we're able to uh, match them and hopefully overtake them in that regard. So I will admit it's very cool that they're, uh, they're doing that. So can't be too mad at them. They beat us to it. <laughs> to it. So uh, what's coming up on your schedule then in the next few weeks? Do you guys have regular meetings? Do you have events that you're doing? Um, kind of how can people start getting involved more? Yeah, so the best way to start getting involved would actually be to show up to our next meeting. Uh, it's going to be next Wednesday. I believe that's the 19th. Um, so I mentioned that there's a speaker coming to the CU Natural History Museum. Uh, Adrian Carper is his name. He's a postdoc that has done some research on bees. Uh, and he's actually going to be coming to speak to our club before he speaks to the general public. Uh, so we'll be doing a little meet and greet. He's going to be bringing some specimens. So that would be a great way to start getting involved. And then otherwise, yeah, we're trying to hold um, about two meetings a month, bringing in a lot of great guest speakers, trying to have some good food and snacks, and just be able to kind of uh, relax and take a little break in between classes and dinner. Yeah. I mean, it's it sounds like just such a gentle, fun thing to do. Um, I don't know. What, what, what do you want to see from the club? But beyond the long-term uh, stand, like goals of beekeeping and stuff, how do you, how do you want it to be with the with the students mm -hmm. well I, I know Josh always wanted to uh, create mechanized bees right <laughs> right right Josh but maybe one day but <laughs> the focus right now will be uh, dedicated to our living uh, living bees this mm -hmm. time around so yeah the living bees are important for sure um, and I guess what we're really hoping to see is just a that 
students are having a good time because getting involved in the environment and it's such an important issue, um, it's really crucial. Um, and having fun is a ginormous part of that. And then B, we, one of our success criteria when we actually formed the club um, was that we want to get positive feedback from the community as well. So we want the community to kind of reach out and say, hey, we really like what you guys are doing. You guys are a pleasure to work with. Um, we think that you're making an impact. Uh, and so we think that's important too because if the students at CU are making an impact, that's great. But if they're inspiring others to make an impact as well, that's even better. And that's how we're really going to be able to make a difference. Yeah, I, I'm, I, think, I think you can get there. Uh, if you want to find out more about the Bee Club, your CU Bee Cle- Beekeeping Club on Facebook, correct? Just University of Colorado Bee Club, yeah. University of Colorado Bee Club. Yeah, check them out on Facebook. Um, if you're a student, you can look them up on Buff Connect, uh, and they're super awesome. Thank you so much, Travis and Josh, for joining me and talking about our favorite little six-legged friends. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Lucy. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Those are some members of the Bee Club here on campus. They just started this fall, uh, and as you heard, they're very excited uh, to get going, working on campus and community uh, with the bees. Thank you so much for listening to News Underground.